When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. If you're a Penn State fan... You have certain opinions and thoughts and expectations about Penn State football, and you probably live in what I like to call a bubble of your own thoughts and and opinions. And what I mean by that is I I would say most people in our society kind of surround themselves with uh, the opinions and ideas that they agree with. And as opposed to always kind of going out and seeking different opinions that you might disagree with and make you mad or whatever. And so if you live in a Penn State bubble or if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you live in a Cowboys bubble. If you're, uh, I don't know, New York Yankees fan, you live in a Yankees bubble. If you're a fan of a team, you live in a bubble of your own ideas and opinions. And these ideas are, are generated over Long periods of time, years and years and years and years. And, and so what happens is, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this as a media member. And I think all Penn State media members that have covered the football program for a long time are guilty of this as well. We get caught up in our own bubble of the way we view things and look at, uh, different elements. So what am I talking about with all this? I like to reach out sometimes and talk to different people who don't cover Penn State football on a daily basis. They have more of a national perspective, a different perspective. They're not locked in to every single little thing going on with the program every single day, like maybe I am, many of you are, Penn State reporters are. And so you can get a little bit of a different perspective. So I've got a guest coming up here in a couple minutes, Matt Fortuna, uh, formerly of the athletic, former president of the Football Writers Association of America, uh, good friend of mine. He now operates the website, The Inside Zone. Matt covers college football on a national scale. So I talked to him earlier this week on my radio show about uh, the Michigan situation, Jim Harbaugh leaving, and the way Penn State is viewed around the rest of the country. Now, Matt's perspective is always good on this because Matt is a Penn State alum. I got to meet Matt about 15 years ago. He interned for me covering the Altoona Curve 
when I was with the Altoona Mirror, he was a Penn State student working for the Collegian, and he spent a summer with me interning. And I, I can't be more proud of Matt because he has just gone on and had a sensational career working for ESPN and The Athletic and now founded his, his own website. But Matt covers college football on a national scale. And I picked his brain about the way people view Penn State football on a national scale. You'll hear when you listen to the interview coming up in a bit, me make a comparison to the Steelers and Mike Tomlin and Steelers fans. I am a Steelers fan. I am not a Mike Tomlin fan. I think that Mike Tomlin has drastically underachieved over the last decade with no playoff wins in the last seven years. And to me, I would shed not a tier one if the Steelers were to move on from Mike Tomlin. But the rest of the country thinks I'm a moron. And the rest of the country thinks that Steelers fans who agree with me, and there are many, 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 many Steelers fans who agree with me, the national media, national sports or NFL fans think that all of us Steelers fans who feel that way are stupid, that we don't appreciate what we've got in Mike Tomlin. We don't understand how difficult it is around the rest of the NFL. And my counter to that is, well, you don't understand what the damn expectations are with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And no, you know, going seven years without a playoff win is not, not any kind of standard whatsoever, let alone a standard for one of the great sports organizations in the entire country. So if you connect the dots with me, that's what I was kind of, I wanted to talk about with Matt Fortuna that we get to in the interview is, all right, how do Penn State fans view Penn State versus maybe how does the rest of the country view Penn State? You're, we look at 10 and 2 at Penn State inside the Penn State bubble and we think, okay, that's disappointing. Penn State should be better than 10 and 2. You know, Penn State should be competing for national championships. But is that realistic? Is that real? Well, yeah, if you live inside the Penn State bubble, you might think it's real. It's kind of really not real when they haven't won a national championship in 38 years. So again, I uh, got a good discussion on all of that coming up. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a good 22, 23-minute discussion, so stick around for the next couple segments. One more thing before I end this first intro segment. Penn State basketball, man. Good grief. Uh, Just a disastrous loss at home Saturday. Up by 14 at the half on Minnesota. Penn State basketball is better than I thought it would be this year. I thought this, my preseason record prediction for the Big Ten was like 4-16, and 5-15. Well, they they came into the game, what, 3-5. and they compete hard. Um, they've pulled off, they beat Wisconsin. They've pulled off some, some nice wins, beat Ohio State. And, uh, you know, the team is a little bit better than I thought it would be. But just when you kind of want to buy into Penn State, when you, when you want to buy in to what Mike Rhodes is doing with this team, they came out and get outscored in the second half at home, 52 to 29. That's a 23 point difference at home in the second half. I mean, just, just it it makes you take a step back and think uh, Penn State basketball is going nowhere. I mean, honestly, you know, you, you think they're building something and and maybe they're getting a little better, and then you see this kind of loss, and you know, you think, oh my god, this this was your typical Penn State basketball team. You want to kind of believe in them a little bit, and then they will <laughs> they'll laugh at you and shoot down your air balloon and make you plummet to the ground. So just wanted to mention that because really disappointing loss. That was a chance for Penn State to really kind of maybe get on a little bit more of a roll with some tough road because now they've got tough road games coming up. What I think Rutgers and Indiana, 
And so just uh, just a disappointing second half. Just collapse in the second half. Great, great football discussion for you coming up if you stick around. Flirted with the NFL for a number of years. Finally going back. Seemed like this was the right time. He won the national title. Heads to the, I'm going to say it right this time, I promise. The Los Angeles Chargers. Not the San Diego Chargers. He's not coaching Dan Fouts. I keep saying San Diego Chargers over and over because that's what they will always be is the San Diego Chargers. But he's going to the LA Chargers. What's the impact of that on Penn State and the Big Ten? Buddy Matt Fortuna, longtime college football expert, Penn State graduate. Felt uh, he, he would be able to give us some great insight on how this impacts the big picture here. What's going on, buddy? How you doing, pal? I'm doing well, Corey. Thanks for having me. How are you, bud? Oh, uh, man, I'm great. I, I love that we can talk some college football topics you know, still after the season, because now it's we're kind of all on to college basketball or NFL playoffs or everything. But, you know, Harbaugh, are you first of all, are you at all surprised that he's leaving now? Does does this timing make sense to you? Not not in the least. Um, you know, you, you just alluded to it. I mean, he's flirted with the NFL each of the last three off seasons now. And uh, especially after winning a national title, his stock would never be higher. And frankly, business at Michigan is complete. So there's no ill feelings, it feels like, on either side. All right. So it, are the Chargers a good fit? Is that, I mean, he coached the Niners, had success out there. To me, he's got a quarterback already. It, it, was that the best landing spot? Because the Falcons were in the mix there as well. Yeah, it's a good question, Corey. And I mean, look, they're, they've got the quarterback, which is, Priority number one right now. I'm lying to you if I say I know the ins and outs of their organization. Every NFL organization, just as a college football writer, it does seem like they're in salary cap hell right now, which could be a bit of a challenge. That being said, say what you want about Jim Harbaugh. Man has taken over worse situations before at every level, and he's won big at every level. I mean, I saw this stack going around yesterday. I forget who put it out there first, but it's pretty telling. Jim Harbaugh, as of today, now that he's NFL head coach, has the highest active winning percentage of any active NFL head coach. Yeah, I saw that too. Is that, is that, that's real? I didn't look it up or anything. That's a real number. It's, I mean, it's, it's a a league where games are won on the margins, right? The the talent differential is very, very little. Look at all these playoff games that are being decided by, you know, third and fourth and down stops and missed field goals and whatnot. And you look at a guy who's able to kind of inject his personality and his competitive nature into every fiber of a building and that building's culture. Um, it's easy to see why he succeeds at the level he does. It's also easy to see why everyone gets burnt out from him as quickly as he does as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I think when you look at recent hires in the NFL, particularly from the college realm, he's the only one that has proven a thing at the next level. And he did it. He damn near won the whole thing. He, he won big in San Francisco. And I have little doubt he'll do the same. At, 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 I was going to say San Diego in Los Angeles with the, with the Chargers as well. One other thing I, I will just add, our friend Ralph Russo of the Chesapeake Press just uh, tweeted this, that Harbaugh has been a head coach in college and NFL for 20 years, including a three-year stint with FCS San Diego before landing Stanford. 
In every case, he took over a struggling program. His overall record is 162 and 50. The guy can coach football, Corey. Yeah, he he can he can win. He can win close games. You know how my mind works when you said something there about all those close games in the NFL. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a tangent here real quick about James Franklin and ask you your opinion on this, and then we'll get back to Harbaugh and Michigan because I was asking a Q and A earlier this week. You know, will James Franklin get a shot in the NFL? And I said no. There's there's absolutely no way. There's there's no way James Franklin can be an NFL coach because he doesn't win close games. He doesn't win big games. Every game in the NFL is a close game. Every game. You, you can be up 27 points and it's going to come down to the last two minutes because every game just seems to be like that. My feeling is James is a rah-rah guy. He can, he can sell recruits on the family culture and everything like that. But ultimately, if an NFL team is going to look for a coach, they're going to find, they want a coach that has a proven track record being able to win close games, big games. And for all the things James does very well, Matt, that's the one thing he doesn't do well. Would you agree with my line of thinking there? For the most part, yes. I mean, like, I think James Franklin, I think he's a little underrated. I know that might not be the most popular take in state college after losing to Ohio State and Michigan again, but. You know, I think he's an excellent CEO. I think he's an excellent program builder. I think for the most part, he's excellent at hiring and developing assistant coaches and he's very good at relationships. I do think there have been some in-game shortcomings on Saturdays and big games. And, uh, you know, when you really boil it down to, you know, its purest element, the NFL, that's usually what decides these things. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah. With you. I mean, I don't, I've never, I've never heard his name come up for an NFL gig and I have a hard time seeing, you know, that happening just because he wouldn't be my first call if I'm looking at a college guy to make the leap to the NFL. But, you know, everything I just said about James Franklin, I said about Greg Schiano for years and the Bucks hired him, you know, albeit about 10 years ago. So you just never really know what these guys are, are, are looking at. I mean, same, same with Urban Meyer, frankly, right? I mean, I didn't expect him to be an NFL coach and that went even worse than I thought it would go uh, during his abbreviation with the Jaguars. But, you know, there are only 32 of these jobs. And when you look at the, the, the lifespan and the lifestyle, really, of college coaches relative to their peers in the NFL. And you look at the money that's going around in the NFL right now, at least the head coaching level, not the coordinator level, but the head coaching level where a guy like Sean Payton is making 18 plus million dollars a year. If someone were to call, it's really hard to ignore that call. Yeah, no doubt about it. And James, I've always tried to say this about James. I think James is the best CEO in college football. I, I think he's as good as anybody there is out there at the CEO stuff uh, and representing the program and all of that. But in the NFL, you've got to do your best work on those three hours on Sunday. You, you, the rest of it, you can be you can be mediocre at it. But if you're an unbelievable game day whiz in the NFL and you can find a way to win your share of those three point games because there's so many three point games. If James, I mean James is still a young man. He's 51. If at some point he could find a way in the next five years to win a whole bunch of close games, to win a to to prove that he can win one-score games against really, really tough, because that's what they're looking for in the NFL. I wouldn't rule out the possibility in the future of it happening, Matt, but he would have to prove first that that he can do his best work, not for the other six days and 21 hours of the week, but for those three hours on game day. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think that's ultimately where, the, where these things get decided right at the next level. I mean, I'm always fascinated and I think there's a lot of revisionist history and, uh, you know, at college, you can essentially like the, the, the bigger and better and richer you are, the more you get rewarded, right? Like you can win the national title, then sign the number one recruiting class. That was always Nick Saban's kind of beef with the NFL is, well, you win the Super Bowl and then you get penalized. You get the last pick. And there's because Nick Saban was so dominant at the college level, arguably the greatest of all time, 
there's this narrative out there of, well, he failed at the NFL. Corey, he went 15 and 17 over a two-year span. That's a better winning percentage than, I believe, 10 active NFL head coaches right now. Like, mm. he wanted Drew Brees. They wouldn't clear him. They gave him Dante Culpepper. And that's all she wrote. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of alternate histories at both levels of football we could write and talk about right now had Drew Brees signed with the Dolphins under Nick Saban. Tuna, founder of the Inside Zone, great college football site, former president of the Football Writers Association of America. I love picking Matt's brain uh, about this stuff because we, you know, this. We live in the bubble here in Central Pennsylvania. Everybody just bounces the same opinions off all the time. Uh, Matt got out of here and uh, and now covers college football on a national scale. So I'm curious your thoughts: Harbaugh leaving Michigan and the impact on Penn State. Good, bad, pros, cons. What what should Penn State fans know about him leaving? I, I mean, in a, nut, in a nutshell, to boil it down, it's good, right? I mean, the guys, now that he left, I mean, he was one of only four active head coaches with a national title. Now there are only three, one of whom, Matt Brown, won one a literal lifetime ago back at Texas in 2005. So it, it's a good thing for Penn State. You know, the timing is interesting just because, Corey, we're going into this new era of the Big Ten next year with Washington, Oregon, USC, and UCLA coming, no more divisions. Like, things are going to look a lot different in the conference. Um, I'd obviously feel a little bit better about it from a Penn State point of view if it was the same Big Ten that we had this year. Because, uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I went to school there. I love the place. I don't mean this in, in a bad way, but like, if Ohio State and Michigan are operating at their peak and Penn State's operating at their peak, History tells you that Ohio State and Michigan have higher ceilings than Penn State. And I, I, I'm not saying Penn State can't do better than they've done and shouldn't do better than they've done because I think they were very close this year. They just were really tough to watch on offense in big games. But I don't think in the grand scheme of things, there's a whole lot to be ashamed of if your only losses every year are to Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, those are two teams that Michigan won the national title last year, this past year. And Ohio State, for all intents and purposes, was a missed field goal away from winning it the year before. So I, I, I think Penn State is close. I really do. Again, things are going to look different in this next era, particularly with the Big Ten and in the big picture with the 12-team college football playoff, because I think a lot of people are going to have to kind of retrain themselves to define what is or isn't a successful season. Uh, but, you know, I come back to something Gabo Sweeney said, and I, I bring this up anytime I see a program that does really good, but isn't quite over that playoff or national championship hunt yet. This was back in 2014. Dabo was winning 10 games a year, finishing in the top 10, top 15 every year at Clemson. But they hadn't gotten over that hump yet. And they had lost five in a row to South Carolina under Steve Spurrier. And he said something to the effect of, you know, for whatever reason, the good Lord decided to make me the head coach of, of Clemson. At the same time, South Carolina is the best they've ever been in program history. And at the same time, where Florida State's win national championships. And that, look, I, I'm, I remember hearing that in real time and laughing at it. And I'm sure a lot of people did too. But you know what? That guy was a program builder. He stuck with it. You know, the, these Goliaths don't last forever, as we saw at Florida State, as we saw, you know, on a smaller scale with South Carolina. And by the time Dabo got his generational quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence and kept everything else in place, whether it was staff, the way he recruited, et cetera, they were the best team in the country. They won multiple national championships against all odds. And again, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Five-star quarterbacks don't just grow on trees. But I, I do think, you know, there, there's this 
And I understand it's the world we live in right now. You, you lose a big game. You, you look like you can't go over the hump. You want to pull the plug. Shoot. Michigan is example A of this because I was right at the front line with everyone else after 2020 saying Jim Harbaugh cannot get it done. We've seen enough. It's time to start anew. Obviously, I was wrong. And, you know, the guys have been on fire ever since that COVID year. Uh, so I, I really think if you're Penn State and you're one of these programs that's right on the cusp of that 14th playoff and now probably should be making it every year in that 12th playoff, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're that far away from breaking through. And I think Michigan's a great example of that, too, because they were not a recruiting juggernaut and prove that someone other than an SEC or Clemson school can win a national title in this era. Michigan's immediate future, Matt, with the NCAA investigations, did Harbaugh get out at the right time? And I will throw this in because this is, again, uh, from how it impacts Penn State. Penn State doesn't play them for the next two years, which really kind of sucks. So what happened is Michigan got to pound Penn State for the last few years. Now they rotate off Penn State's schedule for the next two years, and Penn State gets Ohio State for the next two. You'd love to play Michigan right really next, you know, this season, next right. season, but instead you don't get to play Michigan for, you know, three years. What is Michigan's immediate future? Are they gonna are, are are they gonna take a pretty good dive here at least for a year or two, or can they sustain at a real high level? Yeah, it's a good question, Corey. I mean, it's funny because you know Michigan obviously proved themselves down the stretch last year, but they, they had a very soft early season schedule and they played no one of consequence in non conference. You look at next year's schedule, week two they host Texas, and in the new Big Ten they host USC. They go to Washington. They host Oregon. They go to Ohio State, and then, oh, by the way, like with the new Big Ten, they, that could be a rematch next week, too, Ohio State-Michigan. So it's going to be the top two teams making the Big Ten title game and not based upon division. So, you know, I, I, I think regardless of who is or was going to be the head coach in Michigan next year, regardless of the NCAA stuff, that's probably not going to turn out too well for them. It was going to be a challenging year by Michigan standards next year because of the schedule and because they're losing, at least on offense, pretty much everyone outside of Donovan Edwards and Colson Loveland. Um, you know, they, they had, I would argue, the best offense line in the country three years running now. They lose all five starters plus Zach Center, who was a starter until you know, the playoff. Uh, they lose quarterback J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, two of their top three receivers. Uh, it's going to look a lot different. Now, they return a lot on defense. Um, this is Michigan. I mean, they're going to find good players or they're going to develop good players. So, you know, I don't think they'll be a bad football team next year. But, you know, whoever is that coach, and I expect it to be Sean Moore, I'm a little surprised it hasn't already happened yet because it's not like they, they don't know what they have in him. It's not like they weren't prepared for a day like this where Jim Harbaugh leaves. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think the new coach can be judged, you know, barring disaster strictly on what happens next year. But, you know, there are, I think, going to be consequences for multiple NCAA investigations right now. And who's going to bear the brunt of that? Will it be in the way of future scholarships? Will it be in the way of future bowl or playoff fans? Or is it just going to be retroactive vacating the games, which, you know, hurts everyone's egos, but really doesn't have any actual consequence? I, I don't know, but things are definitely going to be different in Ar- in Ann Arbor next year. All right, Matt, I want to ask you this. Follow along with my line of thinking here. Uh, it'll, it'll take me 30 seconds to get to the point. Who, who's your favorite NFL team? Do you get to root for the NFL? Because you're not covering the NFL. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm a Giants fan. I mean, not something I've been bragging about. Lately. Okay. <laughs> I'm a Giants fan. Do you think, just a real quick answer, you think Mike Tomlin does a real good job with the Steelers? Yeah, I don't think that roster is that good. Okay. Us idiot Steelers fans in Western PA think that he is vastly overrated and, and the rest of the country thinks we're a bunch of morons. The rest of the country thinks that you Steelers fans don't know how good you've got it. 
and we'll counter the no playoff wins in seven years, and we'll counter that he had a Hall of Fame quarterback, and we'll counter that he's got three playoff wins in the last decade, and what have you done for me lately? And the rest of the country thinks we're idiots, okay? I'm curious how the rest of the country thinks about Penn State fans. Because Penn State is a 10-2 and program, and that's what it is, and to me, that's all it's going to be. They're going to make the playoff as a 9-10-11 seed. Maybe they'll win one game sometimes. Maybe they won't. I don't know that they're going to win two. But Penn State fans and the expectation, national championship, compete for a national championship, compete for a national championship, compete for a national championship. Well, they haven't won a national championship since 1986. How does the rest of the country view the incredibly high expectations of the Penn State fan base. Um, you know, it's funny. I've heard both arguments on the Steelers side when when I was just listening to you say that now, and I can certainly understand both sides of that. With Penn well, State, your team I mean, sucks. I, that, that's the thing. My my point is the Giants are horrible. You you if you're right, if you're a Giants fan, you'd you'd be thrilled with ten and seven, right? Because you're going to the playoffs. But and look, I get it. But that's that's. I, the comparison I'm making is with Penn State because the realistic right. expectation is 10 and 2, but Penn State fans are not going to ex- accept that. I think that's fine. I don't think that's um, like, I get it, right? Like, you should demand more out of your favorite team. I get it. Like, I, I, looking at this objectively, Penn State had an offense so bad that they, they fired their offense coordinator midseason. And what? They, I think, with any semblance of a competent offense, win at Ohio State this year. Uh, they had no semblance of a competent offense against the national champions this year. And that game, for all intents and purposes, was a one-touchdown game. It was 24-15. That's because James Franklin stupidly went for two twice. I mean, they got beat by one touchdown uh, against a team that essentially punted on the second half because they knew Penn State couldn't do anything. 32 consecutive runs. <laughs> right. And I don't – which I don't think was really a genius play. I mean, you do that on Madden, right? When you know you've got the game in hand. I just – I thought Penn State's defense did, did – not as well as could be expected, especially when you see what Michigan's running attack did against everyone else this season. So I don't think like it's unreasonable to expect or demand more. Um, I, I, I get it. These are big games. Like you, you put everything into them and when you don't get the result you want, you, you, you want to go crazy. I, I completely understand that. I, I do think of the big picture, Michigan, Ohio state generally are recruiting at higher levels and are bigger brands and are higher up the big 10 packing order. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it, 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 you know, it's not like Joe Paterno was beating these teams regularly, right? I mean, you know, when, when, when Penn State was winning these games, it's when Michigan was down, right? Ohio State's never down, but it was when Michigan, uh, w- w- was down. Same with Michigan State, right? Mark D'Antonio did great work there. He took advantage of a big time where Penn State and Michigan were down. Um, but I do think Penn State is close. I really do. I mean, I think if you've got uh, the alumni base they've got, you've got the recruiting ter- territory they've got. You've got a stadium that seats 107,000 that fills it up more often than not. Um, you're one of the few places where I think you can realistically uh, set expectations higher than, than what they are. And again, I think it's for the most part been a very successful program. I don't think they're far. They had a national championship caliber defense this year, in my opinion. And if they had just a semblance uh, of a promising offense, they had a chance to be 11 and one, maybe even 12 and 0 and get into the playoff this year. It's unfortunate that that wasn't the case. Um, but, you know, it's not like everyone was running for the transfer portal after this year either, right? They made some good hires, and they think they've got the ingredients in place to continue to make a run next year, which 
again, will be a lot different in a new Big Ten and will be a lot different in a 12-team playoff because you're going to be asked to do a lot more and beat a lot more good teams in order to win a national championship. But I, I don't think they're that far away. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, but getting getting to that next step, boy, it's it's tough. Even just to get there, but then to beat Georgia while you're there, to beat Bama, or at least traditionally while you're there, and you might even have to play I, might, might even have to play Ohio State again in the playoff at some point. I mean, that's that's a challenge. I, I agree completely. I, I would say, and maybe this is an example people want to see. Look at Michigan. Right, two years ago they got to the playoff. They got run off the field by Georgia, and at least for me, and I think most people outside of Ann Arbor, it was, all right, they had a nice little run. Michigan's back. They're no longer bad. We'll see them again 10 years from now. And two years later, they were the better team against Alabama. There was nothing fluky about yeah, that right. win. They yep. pushed the Crimson Tide around. Let me, Mark Wogenrich, our colleague, you know Wogie well. He, he, yeah. he threw out a number yesterday. I had not seen it, but like Penn State's football revenue. For last year was like an all-time high, 270, 200, 200 million dollars. It's great. I mean, it's huge. That's a it's a huge number. Ohio State was two seventy nine. I mean, there the, that's that's the world Penn State lives. In. I, I thought that was a, a tremendous example of no matter how well Penn State's doing. Oh, Penn State's got the number eight recruiting class in the country. Ohio State's four. <laughs> Penn State's got this transfer portal class. Ohio State's better. I mean, it, they live in a world where they want to say they're unrivaled, but yet. They they beat you in literally everything. Well, they are unrivaled. Did you see the Big Ten's new schedule? They did. There's the only team that doesn't have a common opponent in the new thing. So technically, they are unrivaled. I think the Big Ten may have taken James Franklin's slogan yeah, literally. Exactly. Um, but hey, everything you just said, Ohio State's saying the same thing about Michigan right now. Yeah, right. right. Ryan Hayes <laughs> was damn near close to winning it all in each of the last two years, and he enters next year not on the hot seat, but probably under more pressure than any elite coach in the country, especially with the great offseason they've had so far. Uh, great discussion, man. I always enjoy catching up with you, buddy. Good to hear from you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for having me. Thanks, pal. Matt Fortuna, the Inside Zone. Check that out. Tremendous college football website. Matt has good perspective on everything. Everything. 